Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. All right, Coop, you know, we have the Tennessee medical official uh, mm-hmm. who says she was fired. Uh, and it's very interesting to hear the sequence of events and why she believes this happened and what her real concern is for her state actually doesn't have to do with just COVID, but other immunizations Mm. are now being discouraged. So thank you for starting the ball on that. We'll pick up the ball right now. Anderson, appreciate you. I'm Chris Cuomo. Welcome to primetime. Don't miss uh, President Biden in terms of what this really means. Okay. I know all the headlines are, oh, he came out strong about voting rights. His talking about voting rights, the way he did it and the way he defined it, it's not just another layer of rhetoric. He has just defined the biggest test for his presidency since the initial role of getting the vaccine out when he first came into power. In calling the wave of state voting laws that are upon us the greatest threat to our democracy since the Civil War, he's created a bar for himself. Listen to what he said. The big lie is just that, a big lie. In America... If you lose, you accept the results. You don't call facts fake and then try to bring down the American experiment just because you're unhappy. This is election subversion. Are you on the side of truth or lies, fact or fiction? We'll be asking my Republican friends in Congress and states and cities and counties to stand up for God's sake and help prevent this concerted effort to undermine our election and the sacred right to vote. Have you no shame? No, they have no shame. And the president should know that. The question is, can he get it done? Again, we know there is no shame in their game. We know that they know it is a lie. We know that the big lie was cooked up weeks before the election. Trump had been feeding it to you for weeks as a suggestion. Now we know that on election night, As Trump was losing, they were already figuring out how to fulfill the false prophecy. Two Washington Post reporters write in the book, I Alone Can Fix It, that Giuliani was telling other guests at the White House, ready for this? He had come up with a strategy for Trump and was trying to get into the president's private quarters to tell him about it. Some people thought Giuliani may have been drinking too much. Stepien, Meadows, And Miller, Jason Miller, took Giuliani down to a room just off the map room in the White House to hear him out. Giuliani went state by state. What's happening in Michigan, he asked. They said it was too early to tell. Votes were still being counted and they couldn't say. Just say we won, Giuliani told them. Same thing in Pennsylvania. Just say we won Pennsylvania. So look, we know that Trump and co. were all in on the lie from jump. Here is what we don't know. Here is what the current president just made the bar. Can Biden pass what he calls the test of our time? Can he stop the wave 
of restrictive laws. The GOP has already enacted 28 new laws in 17 states. They remove, reduce, and restrict what was allowed in this past election. Why? Why else but to suppress the amount of turnout that we just had in this election, particularly the black vote? There are also restrictive bills waiting for action in 48 states. Look, we know there is no proof of fraud. You saw the CPAC guy here imagining that there were all these signatures. They didn't follow the law. They looked at the ballots, as I said during the interview. You know, just because you let somebody give their argument doesn't mean you're not going to check it. That's called dialogue, okay? So in debate, he said they didn't check every box, and that's it. But that's not fraud, even if they didn't check every box. And when they looked to see if the signatures were real, they found almost none, and then they worked them out. And that was done by Republicans. The Texas governor, a Republican, said he saw no proof that there was any fraud in his state's elections. But now he's pushing laws that fix what wasn't broken. Even Mitch McConnell told you there was nothing to fix. There's nothing broken around the country. The system upheld very well during intense stress. Now, the question for him is, on this and on vaccines, we have the exact right person to ask tonight. Why doesn't McConnell, if he believes those things, why doesn't he speak out about people who are saying the opposite and wantonly lying within his own party? What kind of leader is he? We're going to ask somebody who should know the answer in just a moment. But first, think about what Biden did today. He warned you, prepare now for Republican attacks on the midterms next year. But that's not the bar for him. We know that's going to happen. What is he going to do about it? Can he get all Democrats on board to stop the laws that will almost certainly reduce Democrat chances in the states that pass the same? The stakes are clear, as is the Democrat desperation. Right now, dozens of state lawmakers are risking arrest fleeing to D.C. from Texas uh, to shine a light on the voting rights fight. The risk is real. What can Biden do about it if it is the test of his time. Reaction to what seems to be the most toxic tech I've ever seen from what was the grand old party. Let's discuss the state of play. Let's start inside and then go outside. Scott Jennings, former campaign advisor to Mitch McConnell, former special assistant to President George W. Bush. Good to see you. Hope the family's well. Thank you, Chris. Good evening. Uh, So let's start first with just where your head and heart are. How do you feel about what's been going on at CPAC? What's happening with vaccinations and election fraud as really mainstays of Trump party politics heading into the midterms? Well, I'll just start with the vaccines. I'm, I'm sort of perplexed by some of the people who are, you know, trying to cast doubt on the need for the vaccines. Some of the people doing that purport to be Donald Trump's biggest supporters. Well, I, I think if you look back at the Trump presidency, it's Uh, Hard to imagine a bigger triumph of that four years than the Operation Warp Speed that led to the development of the vaccine. So I guess I'm I'm very flummoxed by the idea that people who say they support Donald Trump and what he accomplished would then throw cold water uh, on the vaccine that his administration helped bring forth. I think that's what Senator McConnell was also getting at today, which was, 
he's a little surprised that some Republicans who say they support Trump now apparently don't support his greatest accomplishment. First Trump, then we'll go to McConnell. Um, Why do you think the former president wasn't all about selling the vaccine? He barely told people that he took it and that his family had it. How do you understand that as a Republican, that this was his signature achievement when it came to a pandemic that he denied, and then he doesn't sell it? Yeah, well, I mean, he obviously was occupied by other things, chiefly his view that he, he was, uh, was the winner of the election, when you and I both know that he, he wasn't. But he's been preoccupied with that. It's all he talks about. Uh, I mean, the reality is he had a number of good things he could have sold during the election, during the campaign, and then in the aftermath of, of the election about how good of a job he did on the vaccine, on the economy, whatever you, know, whatever you want to talk about. But he got solely focused on the idea uh, of election fraud, and that's what he talks about every day. And and because the party has no platform and because he remains the most uh, popular person in the party, uh, you know, that's kind of the main animating uh, issue of the party right now. And that's unfortunate for us, uh, I think, moving forward. So let's talk about how you deal with that popularity. McConnell says on vaccinations and people should know he's a polio survivor. Uh, and that is part of the context for why he is sensitive to vaccines. Uh, It is discouraging that so many people remain unvaccinated. I'm a big fan of vaccines. I had a personal experience with that in my own life. And it's pretty clear from all the evidence that if you get the disease, you're much more likely to survive it if you get vaccinated. I think we just have to keep preaching that and try to get people to understand the importance of it. Here's the problem. He is the leader in the Senate and his own members are crushing the vaccine, are questioning it. Rubio, Paul. Cruz, others. McConnell says nothing about that. Why is that okay? Well, I mean, he he says every single day and has, uh, you know, for months on end that people should get vaccinated. He's been vaccinated. Everyone should get vaccinated. I've personally that's talked different. to him about it. He does events uh, when that's he comes different. home to Kentucky and, and says all of his constituents but that's are vaccinated. Different. So I, I disagree with your assessment. No, no, th- th- that's not my assessment. My assessment isn't that he says get vaccinated. It's that he says nothing about the people who are undermining the vaccine without basis. That's what I'm talking about. He does the same thing with the big lie. He says, hey, look, there wasn't any election fraud. It is what it is. But he doesn't say anything about that his party is overrun with people who are questioning the election. What kind of leadership is that? It's not enough just to say get vaccinated. It's you have to say this guy's lying to you. It's not enough to say that the election was good. It's these people are lying to you. Isn't that the bar? I mean, Chris, I... I think I think Mitch McConnell's been very clear how he feels about the election. Number one, that Joe Biden won and is a legitimate president. And number two, that he doesn't agree with what Democrats are trying to do with the federalizing essentially our national election system. It's it's possible to hold both views, and, and that, that's the view that he holds, is that Joe Biden won, there was not enough fraud or no fraud, you know, sufficient to overturn the election, as Donald Trump argues, but that at the same time, uh, it's his view that we don't have to federalize the election system. It's a, it's a pretty clear position, uh, and he's made that position uh, very well known every single day. Now, he can't control the statements of everybody in his conference, but I think his position's been well known uh, and well stated, and he has never wavered from it one day. Yeah, but these guys police each other all the time when they want to. If people had said, uh, hey, I don't think we need a tax cut, uh, but you know, in 2016, 2017, I don't really think we need it. He would have said things to them privately and publicly. I don't agree with that. We should have the tax cut. I think it's a big deal. Not with these two things. And my point is not to just malign McConnell. I just believe he's a player in the game. It's the game that I hate. What I'm saying is how 
comfortable are you with a Republican, as a Republican, that really the main thrust of where you guys are coming from, based on CPAC and what we're hearing from your big names, is the election was stolen and we have to make sure it never happens again. Are you comfortable with that and what it might lead to? Well, I'm, I'm not comfortable with the idea that we're going to run the 2022 and 2024 elections with the platform, basically, of relitigating uh, 2020. I, I mean, I don't think that's going to win us back the White House, essentially. I mean, I'm a little dubious that this issue is going to be as big a deal in 22 because of the dynamics of a midterm. But in 24, we're going to go back to the American people and say, return us uh, to the biggest office in the country and the most awesome political power in the world. Uh, give us that responsibility. And if we expect people to do that, uh, they're going to expect us to tell them the truth about what happened the last time we had that power. And when we last had it, uh, Donald Trump, of course, um, you know, uh, helped incite a, a, a mob on January the 6th over a bunch of lies about, uh, about what happened in the 2020 election. The party has to have a platform. It has to have a series of issues, and it has to have an argument about why we would be better than Biden or Harris or whoever the Democrats nominate. And simply going back to them and saying, uh, our whole reason for being is to tell you that Donald Trump was right and January 6th was fine. That's not going to cut it. We're clearly not going to win a national election on that. So I'm uncomfortable if that's our platform. I am comfortable that the issues exist for us to, to try to get there. But um, I think there's a big struggle in the party right now, honestly. And we're going to see some of this litigated in the upcoming election about are, are we going to be a party of policy and ideas? Or are we going to be a, partisi, a, a party of looking backwards uh, on an election that we didn't win, uh, but was close enough and, uh, and we could win and, you know, we could go back and try to win in the future? I hope you're right about there being a battle because I don't see it right now. And I don't like the two-party system. I think we need more stakeholders, but we absolutely need an intelligent check on one side and the other, an intelligent check if we're going to be stuck with two parties. And we do not have that right now. Scott Jennings, thank you for being with me. Appreciate you. Thank you, Chris. All right, look, what's going to work with you? Okay, to Scott's point, uh, they can say whatever they want. What's going to resonate? Okay, let's bring in the Wizard of Odds, with the numbers that matter as campaigns are starting. Where's your focus? What are you buying? What are you not? Next. Look, I don't think there's any question that the party of Trump is banking on the big lie. I don't see them putting out anything else. Will it work? Let's look to you. Our Wizard of Odds, Harry Enten, has a breakdown of what we see resonating this far ahead of the 2022 midterms. Let's start with um, the obvious. What's working on the GOP side? Crime. Crime is working on the GOP side. You know, if you look at the data right now, you see Biden's job approval rating on crime just at 38%. It's one of his weakest issues. And it's coming at the same time that more and more Americans describe the crime problem as either extremely or very serious. And it was just a week ago, Chris, that in New York City, we crowned the Democratic primary winner in Eric Adams, who ran very much hard on the crime issue. So we saw that it penetrated and really resonated in a Democratic primary. I think the GOP is probably going to run on this issue. We know that murders are up. We know that shootings are up. So this is one of Biden's weakest issues and one of the GOP's strongest issues. That early pushback of uh, not all crimes are actually up. It's actually still OK if you look at it um, year over year. Didn't work. People think it's bad. The shootings are really the metric that resonates. What isn't working? COVID-19. I mean, look, this is one of Biden's strongest issues. Already, more than two-thirds of American adults have gotten at least one dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. 
Biden's job approval rating on this, look at this, 62%, double his disapproval rating. So when I see people at CPAC saying, oh, you know, we're going to stop them. We don't want the government from infiltrating, going into our houses, trying to sell us in the vaccine. Most Americans are sold on the vaccine. Most of them have gotten it. This, that would be an awful issue for Republicans to run. Frankly, I don't get it. I think it's just another illustration of sometimes the base run amok and not really being in touch with the center of the electorate. Hmm. So that anti-vax thing may not pay off. We'll see. Now, the big ticket is usually uh, first. It's now third, which is the economy. Yeah. I mean, I think that this will ultimately be the issue that may determine the midterm elections. Look at Biden's economic job approval rating. It's 50 percent disapproval rating, 45 percent. That's very, very close to what we saw was the final result last time around in the presidential election, right? It was 51-47. So Biden's basically equaling what his, you know, result was last time, his percentage of the vote. And we see the economy is also climbing in terms of the nation's most important problem right now, just squeaking out poor leadership with 23%, but it's going up as a most important problem in the country, especially as we're getting out of the pandemic, as we've sort of seen this uneven recovery. I think if Biden is approved more than disapproved on the economy heading into the midterms, it could be good for Democrats. If on the other hand, he's disapproved more than approved, that in fact could be quite good for Republicans. I think it's the break even issue. As is always true, but specifically with the economy, it's about what the narrative is. Mm. What does the economy mean? How is it explained? Is it about what he got done? Is it infrastructure? Is it just how it came back, as we saw with Obama when he inherited the 2008-2009 problems? Who tells the better story? Very important. Harry Enten, thank you for giving us the numbers. My pleasure, sir. All right. Next guest has a warning for Democrats in 2022. Wake up on the culture issue that could beat you. Yes, wokeness. You don't have to listen to James Carville, but you ignore him at your own peril. He knows people. He knows what made Democrats the party of people. And more importantly, he knows what you've lost. So listen up next. The same party wrapped in the mantle of defunding the police is on the verge of electing a former cop mayor in New York. You know what that's called? An adjustment. That's in addition to the law enforcement background of another Democratic mayor in Chicago. You know why? Crime's a problem, especially in cities. And both of these cities are seeing a surge in homicides compared to pre-pandemic levels. I know other crime metrics aren't on the rise in the same way, but people killing people, people using guns in the commission of crimes matters more. Cops on the streets say liberal reforms are making it harder to keep people safe. Let's talk about the threat of wokeness to Democrats with James Carville. Um, James, I'll give you one break from the hate parade and then we'll get in uh, to the wokeness. The first macro issue is how long Biden uh, threw down the gauntlet, as we say today, Um, These voting reforms are the worst thing since the Civil War. This is the test of our time. Well, now he's got to pass it. The only way he passes it is one, the one to five percent chance that he gets Republicans to sign on to voting reform at the federal level. The other way is that he gets Manchin and Sinema in line. Um, Do you think he can get it done? I hope so. And and I would point out your guest, uh, Senator McConnell's guy, said that they don't want to federalize elections. The Constitution is very explicit in its grant of power to the Congress to set rules for federal elections. So I don't think that there's any doubt that this is a, a constitutionally uh, correct 
uh, bill that we have. And, and look, it's, it's going to be hard. Uh, Senator Madison and Senator are going to have to, that's the only way they're going to be able to do it, as that I can see. And I hope they do. Because if they keep passing these restrictive laws, we're just going to lose faith in our democracy, which is not going to be good for anybody. I didn't push him on the constitutional issue because it's about to happen. Right. And there right. were provisions in those bills where you would have federal oversight uh, in a way that would be very heavy handed. It didn't have to be that way. But your point is accepted. Now you get to the main uh, the main battleground, which is how you get more people in the fold. Uh, you point out uh, Biden did better in the suburbs than Clinton, but not the cities. Um, Trump actually gained six points in Philadelphia with black men, five points with Hispanic women. Why? What does it point to? Well, the people we saw in New York, people want candidates to address their, their lives. I mean, Biden did a little worse, but he did he did better with suburban women. He did better with veterans. He, not, not to blame your point, we did lose traction with black voters and Hispanic voters. And I think part of that is we got identified by the defund the police and the language police and that's not who Biden is. Biden didn't even know what wokeness is. He couldn't explain it to him. <clears throat> and I, I think that the Democratic Party, I'm very encouraged in what I saw in New York. I was very encouraged by the results in the Virginia primary. Uh, I'm very encouraged by what happened in Louisiana. I, I, you know, look, this, this whole noisy uh, identity left is 15% of the Democratic Party. Two-thirds of their party are these loony, agree with these loony insurrectionists and, and, and this kind of stuff. Yet we pay such a terrible political price for a, a slightly more than fringe element of, of our party where they don't pay near the price for a, a just totally goofy, not even on this planet part of their party. So we just have to be more effective and more determined in our communications. Can Democrats own crime when your opponents will point to bail reform and how it was done and judicial discretion uh, and that that is an aspect of keeping people on the street, even when they do bad things with guns. And that could be part of the well, problem. I don't see why we shouldn't. Starting with the, in, when, when President Clinton took office up until the, the, the third year of the Trump administration, crime and violent crime in this country had gone down precipitously. The only thing that changed and it was always cities were always run by Democrats. Was the Trump presidency, who was a lawless president, who promoted lawlessness, and I think that. And I, what about the liberal right. reforms? I mean, look, a well, lot of this is going to hang on New York's shoulders. I don't think. Well, I, you know, I'm not a criminologist, but you know, when under Obama and under Clinton, we had precipitous drops in in, in violent crime in this country, and. You know, some of these things are going to have to be looked at, but I think the idea we're going to defund the police or not or not support the police was put the rest in New York City. Remember, this was a New York Democratic primary. So there, there's a there's a lot of blame to go around, but Biden can get his numbers up from 38 percent because, you know, he, he was instrumental in, in, in helping reduce. But remember, the, the Eric Adams is a former cop who went against right. the Democratic mentality of letting everybody out of prison. Uh, part of it was right. COVID, uh, but a lot of it wasn't. It was bail reform. Some of it was good. Some of it was overreach. And he campaigned against it. But Chris, that, that's 15 or 20 percent of the Democratic Party. OK, the overwhelming number of Democrats, most important constituents in our party are blacks and suburban women. They're not into this. All right. And, and, and you know, again, we're seeing it time and time again. We're letting a, a, a noisy wing of our party define the rest of us. And my point is, we, we can't do that. I think these people are all are kind of nice people. I think they're very naive and they're all into language and identity. And 
that, that, that's all right. They're not storming the Capitol, they, but they're not winning elections. And I think people sort of see this for what it is. And, and people are way more interested in their lives and how to improve them than they are in somebody else's pronoun or something. So I, 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 I agree that it's a problem, but it shouldn't be as big a problem as it is because they know where near as big in the Democratic Party is, is the fringes are in the Republican Party. Mm. And that's something that we've got to drive home. James Carville, you're always value added. Appreciate you. Well, Thank you, Chris. I, I appreciate you, too. And it All was right. an important conversation we had for the party. Thank you. We'll keep having it. Yes, sir. Tennessee. Why does Tennessee matter? Because they came out of the box hot on vaccinations. They had it together. They were doing well. But then the poison politics started. Now they have one of the lowest vaccination rates in the country. COVID cases are on the rise there again. Look, one goes with the other. All right. You never hear somebody saying that they have this unbelievable vaccination rate, but this unbelievable case rate. You don't hear it. Okay, the state's top vaccine official. Now, this is a really interesting story. She says she was fired, not because of the numbers, but for trying to turn them around. She says that she went against the predominant political bent. It cost her her job, but she is way more worried about what it's going to cost the people in her state. How so? Next. Most important story of the day, for the next week, and certainly of right now. In Tennessee, we have just obtained documents that prove that Republican state lawmakers, because of the poison politics, they're not just chilling outreach about the COVID vaccine. They are chilling outreach to minors about all vaccines. HPV, immunizations, mainstream ones. Why? Because that's how far they're willing to go. The story of this pandemic on the right side is deep denial. And we are going to remember for generations how we made ourselves sick. Nobody else did what we've done in America. We had a cure faster than just about anybody. Not a cure, but a vaccine. And we made ourselves sick. We lied to ourselves about the pandemic. Our leaders called it a hoax. It's Trump, but it was more than Trump. And now we have the big case in point, Tennessee. Monday, their top vaccine official says she was fired after she sent a memo to vaccine providers about a state law that already existed. I think it's existed since 1987. It's called a mature minor um, <clears throat> policy, which is where it allows doctors to determine if teenagers, even if they're not right of the age of majority, majority, that they can still be treated as long as the doctor believes that they're mature enough to understand their healthcare decisions. So they don't need the parents' consent. It comes amid a larger effort to halt vaccine outreach for all diseases. Think about that. Why? Dr. Michelle Fiscus joins us now to tell her story. Thank you for taking the opportunity, doctor. Appreciate it. Um, why do you believe that you were given this Hobson's choice, be terminated or resign over your decision to tell kid to help kids get the vaccine. Well, th thanks for having me on, Chris, uh, and taking the time to shed some light on this story. Uh, you know, this is really a symptom of uh, what's going on in public health departments um, in many states across the country. There are 64 people in my position across states and territories in the United States, and I'm the 25th 
who's left their position over the course of this pandemic, that's that's 40% of us that have left either for retirement or because we've been terminated um, or because we've just simply resigned. And, um, you know, this in, in my particular case is about the bowing of the Department of Health to some saber rattling um, of some of our state legislators who felt that it was inappropriate to share the mature minor doctrine that has been um, Tennessee Supreme Court state uh, case law since 1987, as you mentioned, um, to be able to um, allow minors ages 14 and older to consent for their own medical care if their provider feels that it's appropriate to so do so. So this started on the and, COVID level, which you believe is derivative of poison politics surrounding COVID, yes? It, it is around politics surrounding COVID, but it has it has seeped out to be much more than that. And, and really, I think it, this was the vehicle for um, something larger, which is which is vaccine hesitancy, vaccine de- denialism um, amongst some of our state legislators. I don't get it. I, I get the COVID play. I mean, that's happening all over the country, even though Trump. Um, started Operation Warp Speed. You could say it was his signature triumph when it comes to a pandemic that he denied that he got the vaccine in record time. And now they're trashing it. So that's a little confusing. But what I don't get is, why are they extending in Tennessee to say all immunizations? We don't want you to outreach to anybody about uh, any immunizations. Is that, do I have that right? You have that right. And and actually, I was told by some um, folks within the department just this morning that that includes infant immunizations as well. So, you know, it is any kind of outreach around the importance of vaccines for children, uh, around the importance of COVID-19 vaccine for adolescents, especially, um, has been halted, even going so far as to cancel events that are scheduled well into the fall for flu vaccination within schools and, um, you know, this is, uh, I think, can only be explained as, um, as our uh, leadership's attempt to placate these legislators, as she has made it very clear that she has political aspirations to run for governor or senator or um, get a, a White House um, cabinet appointment, as she explained to the Tennessean newspaper a few weeks ago. So the cover of the Tennessee and now the front page is that this is about all immunizations. It's obviously that. So, but I still, I got to tell, be honest with you, I still don't get it. So it's not just about the Trump politics of the vaccine uh, being proof about the pandemic and the pandemic is real and they don't want it to be real. You believe that this is part of just some kind of extremism where all vaccines are bad and they don't want anybody to get any vaccines. Yeah, it's it's pretty mind boggling. Uh, you know, we do have a fairly active anti-vaccine movement here in Tennessee. They uh, they are well organized. They're well funded. Uh, it's a, an international um, push for um, vaccine misinformation and disinformation in the country and, and in our state. And they have the ear of many of our legislators. When you listen to um, government operations uh, committee hearings and you hear playbook um, phrases coming out of the mouths of our senators and, and legislators that come straight from the, the anti-vaccine playbook. Um, you know, it's pretty clear who they're listening to, and it's not the scientists. Uh, they have Vanderbilt University, a preeminent uh, research institution in their backyard where they could talk to any vaccine researcher and expert that they would like to, 
Um, and yet they they seem to choose to listen to the the Facebook memes and the disinformation that yeah. uh, these yeah. anti-vaccine groups are sowing. One of my main experts on COVID all along has been a Vandy, uh, Van, Vanderbilt uh, professor. Um, now, how is this translating? What are you hearing on the patient level in terms of how these restrictions are feeding into people's misgivings and hesitancy, even if they're not part of some fringe understanding? Well, I, you know, I'm out now, so um, I haven't heard or, or seen communications from um, the public on this. What I know from my colleagues is just the dismay that they have that um, that politics is obstructing the very important work of public health in Tennessee. And, and this is a nonpartisan issue. Public health is nonpartisan. These viruses and bacteria that, that can wreak havoc with these diseases are nonpartisan. They don't care who you are or who you voted for. And the, the way to prevent disease um, is with immunization. And it is, um, you know, it is what pediatricians like myself do every day. It's what public health does every day. And to have partisan politics getting in the way of doing that work um, is a disservice largely to people who have decreased access to vaccines, people who visit departments of health and who rely on vaccination services coming to schools to vaccinate their children. Um, these are the people who are hurt by this. And, uh, and it's, it's unforgivable that people will put their own uh, political aspirations ahead of the, the good of public health. We have to see what this means for the variant, but it goes much broader than that. I mean, you know, you have different things that you immunize for that are way more dangerous in COVID-19 in terms of how fast they spread. Uh, one last thing, then I'll let you go, doctor, and thank you again. What's the chance that the state comes out and says, no, 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 here's why we got rid of Fiscus. She stunk at this, this, this. It was cause for this, this, and this, and that's why it happened. Do they have a case against you? Oh, they may. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, our, our numbers are some of the worst in the nation. Um, I think that there's a, a groundswell of support within the organization, um, within State government itself, people have been walking on eggshells, um, afraid of being fired for doing the right thing. And, um, you know, I, I think those folks uh, will will help if if that comes to that. But um, if if they decide to try to disparage me, that's fine. I'll know it's out of desperation to um, to maintain their agenda. And my concern is for children and for the people of Tennessee who I was hired to protect and serve. Dr. Michelle Fiscus, thank you very much. I'm sorry that we got introduced this way, but um, it's the job to give you the platform to say what's going on. Thank you, Chris. I really appreciate it. All right. Good luck going forward. We'll stay in touch. All right. So, look, another huge battle that is culture, but also law. You know, and one plays into the other. OK, that's what you're seeing in Tennessee. But on a much bigger stage, the right has been trying to change the law on what a woman can do with her body ever since Roe v. Wade, ever since 73. But the big moment may finally be upon us. There is a major fight in Texas. Have you heard about this? This abortion rights law could be the moment the right has been waiting for. We have a woman at the center of the litigation. What the stakes are, next. This is interesting, okay? Texas is pushing a law that would allow people to sue anyone who helps someone get an abortion. Even in a year when we're seeing a record number of laws restricting reproductive health, this Texas law stands out. 
not necessarily because of how restrictive it is. It doesn't even really provide a platform to sue someone getting an abortion. A dozen states set the same time for a woman to have an abortion at six weeks or sooner. So far, all have been blocked in the courts. But this law was specifically designed to get around those exact legal challenges. If this law goes into effect in September, it won't be the state enforcing the law. See, that's the genius of this. Instead, people will be empowered by statute to sue anyone who helps a woman get an abortion. There's even a $10,000 reward if their court challenge is successful. The power isn't limited to people in Texas, meaning anti-abortion groups around the nation can unleash a flood of lawsuits against anyone helping women in need. The law so broadly defines help, it could include a pastor counseling a woman with an unwanted pregnancy or someone giving a woman in need a loan, even someone giving a woman a ride to the clinic. Amy Hagstrom Miller, CEO of a group operating four clinics in Texas, one of the 20 companies uh, that people are fighting this, uh, people fighting this in court. Amy, thank you for coming to primetime. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. So this is clever. Um, How do they get around in the law the problem of standing, which in the law means you get to sue me because something has been done wrong to you? How do they empower groups and people to sue someone for helping someone exercise their reproductive rights if nothing bad has been done to the person suing? Right. That's a great question. Um, Basically, this Senate Bill 8 is trying to forge a path for new law, right? It's not the same kind of law that we've heard about in the past, where a law gets passed that restricts people's access to abortion. We can sue whoever is in charge of enforcing the law, like the attorney general or the health department or whomever, block the law with an injunction and, um, you know, stay it while we're litigating and arguing the case by putting just random people, anybody on a sidewalk, an anti-abortion protester, somebody in Kansas who decides they don't want somebody in Texas to have an abortion, um, anybody can bring a lawsuit accusing somebody of either performing an abortion that's illegal by this definition, so over six weeks into a pregnancy, or they frame it as aiding and abetting, right? So already, already using criminal language in a criminal framework, somebody who helps somebody that they know or love get access to safe abortion in Texas. Um, It's unprecedented. This is an interesting strategy. It is unprecedented. They will say we're not restricting access at all, actually, except the six-week part. And even if you were to strike it and put it back to 24 weeks, uh, as, you know, in the amicus brief in Roe v. Wade, the other restrictions would still apply and could have a chilling effect. How high are the stakes? So the chilling effect is profound. Um, We have staff in our clinics already who are hearing from patients who are in the clinic, already made an appointment, there for an ultrasound, there for some counseling, and who are asking already if abortion is still legal. Um, Staff are feeling surveilled. They're feeling scared. Um, These are people who are on the front lines as essential workers providing access to abortion care services for the last year and a half. And right when they start to come out of the pandemic, Um, There's this kind of restriction um, that's put forward that's not in the interest of health and safety. It's simply politics. It's extreme. The vast majority of Texans don't support this kind of regulation. It's really asking Texans to meddle in each other's private lives, asking people to tattle on each other, 
in ways that is just not in the spirit of, of what we believe in in Texas. What are the legal experts telling you in terms of the survivability of the statute? So everybody agrees that um, a six-week ban on abortion is unconstitutional. There's no question there. The strange thing here is the, the sort of method of enforcement, this private cause of action. Um, we are suing a lot of people today, um, from every judge and every clerk in the state of Texas to the medical board, the pharmacy board, et cetera, um, suing anybody that may um, have the power to enforce um, this law or have um, these cases come into their into their purview in an attempt to block this from going into effect in the first place. That will be because over 90 percent of the abortions we provide are over six weeks. This that, has huge stakes. That will be a ripeness issue as to whether or not it's the right time for you to sue. This is going to be an interesting one to watch. Right. And we will. Amy Hagstrom Miller, thank yeah. you very much. We'll be right back with thank the handoff. So Don Lemon tonight starts right now with D Lemon. What you got for me? I got you a different suit, different tie, help you out, make Wh- you not look like you're selling something. What did you? What are you? What are you talking about? You look like an ice cream salesman. Really? Yeah. I want the booth by the window and not in the back, Maitre D. What are you talking about? First of all, I prefer chauffeur. <laughs> okay, I wish I had my keys. I'd throw them at you. <laughs> Can you keep it parked up front, please? Come on, sir. Are you actually lecturing me about fashion? Yeah, because my style is I have no style. I don't make it an issue. Look at that. Look at the pockets for everything. It's all good. You have. It's all good. Hey, listen, uh, the president gave a big speech today about truth, uh, about uh, voting rights, um, you know, and all Did more than that. Yeah. He set a bar for himself. Right. That is the highest since he took office. Look, he came in, he had to show he could be competent about the pandemic and get out the vaccine. Yeah. I think he did that well. Yeah. I think he's going to have a problem with crime um, that he's going to have to figure out. I think that's a Democrat problem. But now he just said, this is the test of our time. Can he get the Democrats in the Senate and the House to come together to stop the voting rights restrictions that are fanning out all over this country. Why is that, you think, that's a Democrat or Democratic, as it should be said, problem? I think crime uh, is going to be made politically into a Democratic problem because of reforms that went too far, because of rhetoric that went too far, Mm -hmm. uh, and because they are too slow to the punch. And the right will say it, even if it's without basis, because crime matters to people. Mm -hmm. And then they'll be late to the game once again. Right. Even though, Even though they could say it was on Trump's watch right. and, it. and that uh, Democratic presidents, Obama and Clinton before, had had good crime policies and this soft on crime thing has never been the right rap. Now they have the rap. You have states, look, including in New York, where my brother is the governor. Bail reform is important. People rot in jails wrongly. Yeah. But did the reforms go too far? Are judges' hands tied on discretion for gun crimes in a way and releasing people from prison in a way that is making things worse when it comes to shooting? They're going to have to defend well, the, the proposition. Well, that's a discussion, especially the thing about bail reform, because I know that it has been said a lot. Listen, Bill Bratton, uh, the police commissioner I respect very highly, has been on the show. And others, even during the pandemic, I don't know if you remember, we had a town hall with police chiefs uh, from major cities all across this country. 
uh, talking about those issues. So far, though, so far, and they could be right, I haven't seen any empirical evidence that it is bail reform. Of course, people who are violent criminals should not be let out. If someone commits a crime, they should not be let out. But much New York of the, and Chicago and San Francisco much are of, all test cases of reforms right. that have created questionable Much of it, results. though, has been anecdotal. I want to see the research for the real results. I'm not well, saying that it's, it's I mean, it's look, COVID's right part of it, too. It's not going to be one thing. But right. you had a lot more people in prisons in New York and in other big states and you have a lot less now. Mm-hmm. And you have a lot of people who get arrested for crimes where they're using a loaded weapon and they wind up being back out on the street. That's not good. No, it and, th- and that should not happen. No, it shouldn't. As I have said, uh, been saying all along, especially when it comes. Listen, I've been on this for a long time talking about how silly I think the whole defund the police slogan was throughout. The, you know, That's something got, different, but I agree. No, no, no. But I'm, I'm just going to go on and tell you. So, you know, people get upset. Uh, we should cancel Dodge, take his black card away, whatever. I think it was dumb. I don't think it was a, a smart idea to do that. I've also been talking about how so goes. It wasn't even really a whole lot of black people saying that. <laughs> as goes New it York. Was, you know, it was a lot more left wing Democrats and many of them white. We're right. saying defund the police. Well, I but there are still people, even there are white people who want to take away my black card. I mean, you know how that goes, but whatever. No, I, I don't. Then. <laughs> but uh, the whole idea about defunding the police and uh, the whole crime issue happening across the country, I've been saying, gosh, now for months, even before, you know, they had all the candidates stacked up for mayor, as goes New York, so goes the rest of the, the country. And so that the New York mayoral race was going to be a litmus test for the rest of the country. And it certainly has turned out to be that way. I'm trying to get the candidates on from the very beginning. Some of it wasn't it wasn't time for it because the rest of the country just was not interested in it. It wasn't close enough. But I knew that this would be, um, uh, as I said, a litmus test for the rest of the country. And I think that this really exposed where Democrats, you say it's going to a Democratic problem, where Democrats are actually on crime, where they are actually as a party. I think it exposed so much about the left and the rhetoric on the right. This one race in New York City, I believe, did that. Well, look, you wind up having Eric Adams, who was a former cop, uh, came up hard, a Brooklyn borough president, uh, had some controversies uh, during, during the campaign, but he was fundamentally anti-Democrat platform when it came to a lot of the woke talk. And look, I know there's going to be eye rolling and I know you guys are going to come after me. That's okay. That's why we have these conversations. Wokeness is a problem for you guys. And I'll tell you why. It plays in to an attack narrative where they're going to use crime as the proof of what happens when you make everything okay in a society. And where if anybody fights for the traditional values and uh, what's supposed to happen in law and order and you say, no, 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 you're not woke enough. This is what you get. These crime numbers. Now, I know that's unsophisticated. I know it's not a completely fair reckoning. But when's the last time that in politics, everything had to be right, dot for dot, point for point for it to be influential? Well, I'm not exactly sure that I see the the correlation between wokeness and and well, wokeness crime. leads to bail reform and a sense of leniency. That's not necessarily wokeness. That's a, that is, that's a policy issue. I mean, wokeness is about, you know, who's, you know, where, where you stand on uh, how, what should be taught in school. and That's an aspect of it. That. Yeah, but, but that's, that's if a, I were I campaigning against issue. it, I would say, no, it's all of it, Don. It's yeah. a cultural continuum of permissiveness, of yeah. no standards, of anybody can do whatever they want. And everybody's a no, victim. No, 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 no. That's not, I, I think you're completely wrong about that. That's not, that's not what wokeness is. Now, if you want to talk about people you know, and crime and whatever, I just don't think that the two, there's a complete correlation. I think there's a, Every moment that you're 
uh, arguing about what wokeness is and trying to tell me that I'm wrong about it, I'm winning, by the way. No, no, no. With no, voters, no. I'm not I'm trying to tell you what wokeness is. You're trying to compare two things that are not necessarily comparable. With voters, it will be one and the same for everybody except people on the left fringe. Yeah. Well, I, I don't necessarily agree with that. I, I, we'll I see. Don't, I don't think that, and I don't think that crime is necessarily just a democratic uh, problem in this country. I think it's an American problem uh, in this country. It happens in cities all over, and not just cities run by Democrats. But it is a narrative that the right will try to spin. Uh, and Biden's rating likely, on crime, and, and most likely will will work in their favor. What's so Biden's rating on crime? Yeah, thirty-eight percent. Well, yes, but when it's did problem. it happen? When did it happen? Why is it 38 percent? I don't know. What was what was Trump's? Why is it 38 percent? Yeah, but is it real? He's gone. Yeah, but is it real? We'll see. Is it real? Crime is at an historic low. It is creeping back up. Let's remember not that. Not homicides and shootings no, no, in major it cities. Is, it is creeping back up, and that is not good. But it's still at an all-time low, and it's not to the point where Depends it was in the Depends on the category. And shootings 90s. in New York State and in New York City are specifically up from 2019 are and 2020. Huge. But not, but not from historic highs of the 80s and 90s. Doesn't matter. Yeah. How do people feel when they walk on the street? How do they feel when they're with their kids? That part is true, but that's, that's how you politics. feel. And I perception think is reality, I think that's brother. right. Yeah, I, I think you're right you about that. No, it's no, no. You're, you're, talking your about, you're talking about perception. I'm talking to you about actual numbers. Crime is Remind historically... Me what wins an election. Crime, but will you listen to me? Crime <laughs> is down historically. It is up from 2019 and 2020. And I do agree with you. One is the actual fact. And the other one is that perception, yes, is reality. But it does not mean that crime is at an all-time high. That is certainly not It doesn't have to be true. at an all-time high. It has to be surging, I and you have to be a problem for it you're and not, not listening it. to me. Okay, I am which, listening. Which it's one just is not true? that great a point. What do you no, want it me to is. tell you? I'm, t- I'm trying to tell you what facts are. What are the facts? Crime is down historically. Crime but is, it up. is up. But it is up from 2019 That's and 2020. It's up. Okay, it's up. from that. We're but it's still now. down historically. I get it. It's not a history lesson. We're it running is. right now. No, it's on your watch and it's up. You you're lose. Not, you're not listening to me. I am listening to exactly what you You're not making you sense. You're telling me about perception and I'm telling you about reality. You just said it's up in 2019 and 2020. It's you're up in control during that time. I'm campaigning against you. No, no, no. We're talking about two different things. I'm not saying that it's, listen, crime is down historically. But from 2019 and 2020, yeah. the numbers are up. That is not an historic high. Those I never said highs. it was an historic high. Yes, you did. High. But no, you're I saying, yes, you did. I said they're up and homicides and shootings are up in major cities. And it has people Not just in major nervous. cities. Not just in major cities. In other cities and other Good. It's so another well. good fact for me and bad for you. No, what, I'm <laughs> saying, what I'm saying is <laughs> no, this. I got to go. We're like now. 10 minutes over. You got a little something here from this one. Uh, no, you got messed up. Sorry. Facts. Facts. Facts matter. D. Lemon, I'll tell you what matters. I love you. I know. Sometimes you're okay. I love you. I'll take it. (laughs) I'll see you later. This is Don Lemon. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.